This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks, welcome back. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. Professor of Management here at the Wharton School. Adjunct faculty here at the Wharton School and a partner at Ogletree Deacons. And uh, it's not always sunny in Philadelphia. It's kind of yucky outside here this week. Uh, But inside, of course, it's sunny and bright. Is that because of our guest? (laughs) I think think so. So in the first half hour of our show, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy. We're going to talk about workforce development. Uh, After that, we're going to talk later in the show about bonuses, what's happening to bonuses. Uh, Dan and I are going to talk provocatively about something in the half hour after that. And then, do you know what's in our last half hour? Something very special. I think so, too. <laughs> and I can't remember what it is either. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Talking about the gender gap and salary expectations of STEM and business graduates, there obviously. Go. There you go, with folks from Universum. So that's what we're going to be doing in the last half hour of the show. We're going to start out uh, talking about um, some things going on in the economy and particularly workforce development. It's a great pleasure to have with us on the show, again, Pat Harker, who is currently Uh, The president and CEO, I didn't know you get that title too, at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. Before that, in his previous incarnation, Pat was the president of the University of Delaware when he came and spoke to us. And before that, at the Wharton School, dean of the Wharton School. And before that, we're not going to (laughs) go. You know, lots and lots of other things uh, before that. So every time you get a new job, Pat, you have to come back and talk to us about what you're doing there. Happy to do it. Um, So let me ask you the first question uh, about the state of the economy. I imagine... You get asked this at cocktail parties all the time, right? So Dan gets asked legal advice. Nobody asks me anything at cocktail parties. Don't, I think you said, once said people sort of turn around when they find out you're a Yeah, a when you're a professor, professor. right, yeah. that's a bummer. Usually a conversation buzz kill, yeah. my wife says. Um, but people are always asking, I'm sure, how the how you think the economy is doing. So let's ask you right now. What do you think? Sure. Well, first, it's great. Uh, thanks for having me on, Dan and Peter. It's great to see you again. Thank you. So I think the economy generally is uh, clicking along just fine. I mean, you look at all the statistics. Of course, we have our dual mandate of uh, stable prices and, and maximum employment. Right. And you look at the employment side of our mandate, and things are going very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and unemployment is at a 17-year low. Uh, we're starting to see people coming off the sidelines back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. The biggest complaint we hear, uh, whether it's in survey work or you, you look at the data, the JOLTS data, the job openings and quits data, is people can't find the workers they need. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a constant, constant complaint. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing if you're a worker. Um, yep. There are challenges, though. There are communities where that's not uh, that's not reaching them right now. And we can talk about that a little later in some of the work we're doing in that area. Yeah. The other part of our mandate, though, inflation, and we just got had a reading today of personal consumption expenditure, PCE, which is our preferred measure of inflation, it's still not growing up to the 2% target mm-hmm. uh, as robustly mm-hmm. as we might like. Mm-hmm. Now, back to your cocktail party. Mm-hmm. When you're at a cocktail party and, yeah. and you talk to your neighbors and they all have jobs and multiple job offers and inflation's running low, yeah. they ask me, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> I mean, how can you uh, say this is a problem? Yeah. It really is a problem when it comes to uh, managing the economy and any negative shock that might uh-huh. hit us. Yeah. We need a little bit of leg room to r- reduce rates uh, in the case of those shocks. Right. That said, 
for everyone else, it seems it's a very good economy. Mm-hmm. Again, except for those pockets that are out there. So let's uh, just to back up a little bit. So the flexibility thing means, tell me if I got this right, that if something bad happened to the economy, usually the Federal Reserve could step in and cut rates and things like that. Right. But we can't cut rates if they're already close to, what are they now? What's the, so it's what's complicated, the, right? So yep. it's complicated right now, right? So we are... Uh, we're in a position we, – well, you see the Great Recession. So the Great Recession, we took rates to essentially zero. Yep, yep. And at that point, the Fed had to implement uh, large asset purchase programs or quantitative easing mm-hmm. uh, be- because we were unwilling, like some of our uh, neighbors in Europe and elsewhere, to take rates negative. Mm-hmm. There's still an open question about negative rates. I think, mm-hmm. to me, there's a high hurdle to take rates negative. And you mean a psychological hurdle? Yeah, there's a, it's more than a psychological hurdle. Mm-hmm. I think there are some issues about how we structure money markets in this country. Uh, there are some psychological issues. Mm-hmm. And there's also some mixed evidence on how mm-hmm. effective that has been. So just to stop you on that, so negative rates mean, for folks who don't co- uh, follow this carefully, if you put $1,000 in the bank – uh, you would get after some period of time nine hundred ninety nine something back. Yeah. So generally, it hasn't hit. Would it the mean con- if I borrowed a billion from you? <laughs> I only have, have to pay, pay back nine hundred fifty yeah. million. There you go. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. It hasn't really. I like it if it yeah. worked like that. In okay. these countries, it hasn't really hit the consumer that yep. way, but the, it is more on the on the commercial side of the house. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's what it would ultimately mean yep. that we are trying to encourage people to put their money to work as opposed to saving it. Right. Right. There you go. So let's go back to the to the workforce issues because I uh, I know this is something that you personally are interested in. The Fed here in Philadelphia is as well. We want to talk about what you're doing there for a second, but let's just talk and maybe, uh, Dan, you get your sense of, too from what employers are telling you sure. about uh, what the how difficult it is to find people right now, particularly, let's say, for blue-collar jobs, and how much of it is because uh, maybe they're not they're used to a labor market that has been so rosy for employers for so long. All you had to do was post a sign. People are lining up, and you could get picky, and you could have lots of requirements for the jobs, and you haven't raised your wages. Is that what's the going on? The employers will never admit that. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you, listen, but what do you think? Um, it's hard to say. We've talked before that there are some employees who don't want to clean up uh, their blood system for thirty days to pa- mm-hmm. pass a, a drug mm-hmm. test that mm-hmm. would get them a, a job they should love. Right which makes mm-hmm. you wonder how much they really want to be working. Yep. Okay. That, that is a frustration on the the, the natural gas fields uh, mm-hmm. throughout Pennsylvania. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's ongoing shortage and, and a skill shortage, too. Um, I can't understand why we as a state need to import workers from Texas to work on these <laughs> these things. That's a whole other issue. Yeah, because um, this was, of course, the first oil state. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. So, Pat, what are you hearing from your employers in the district here? So I think that it's a it's a complicated story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like many things, it's no one easy fix, no one easy answer. I would start, though, with the fact that I, and this will be an odd thing for a former university uh, president and lifelong academic to say, we are encouraging too many people to go directly out of high school into four-year colleges and mm-hmm. universities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, at, in Philadelphia, we've launched what we're calling the Economic Growth and Mobility Project, really looking at three legs of the stool of economic stability and growth, okay. particularly for low, moderate income communities. Okay. One is around job creation. The second is workforce development, getting those skills. Uh, then the third, and I'll come back to it, is infrastructure, uh, transportation, housing, Healthcare, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't get to a job or live near a job, you don't yeah. have a job. Yeah. And right. we're seeing that increasingly as urban centers become more and more attractive and housing prices, uh, gentrification is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
if you're not being gentrified, right? If you're being mm-hmm. gentrified, I mean, it's a completely different oh, story. If you're there, poor, and the neighborhood right. prices are going up. And we have decades yeah. of research yeah. in Philadelphia on – we've been following longitudinally some people who have been gentrified, where they go, what happens oh, to them. Really? So we have oh. a pretty deep understanding. Oh. And what uh, does? So what does happen? So you're relatively – let's say you're a working-class person in a neighborhood near the center city in Philadelphia, and lots of people come in with white-collar jobs from someplace else, or they move back in from the right. suburbs, and they are looking for nicer houses, and they can afford a whole lot more than you can. What happens to those folks? So they get pushed out. Right, they get yeah. pushed out to the fringes, to the exurbs, which typically don't okay. have the transportation infrastructure to get because they typically don't have a car. They don't okay. have the social services, and they don't have the job opportunities. Right. And you see that, I mean, in a variety of communities. We've done a lot of work with Northeast Pennsylvania mm-hmm. on the transportation issue. We've done this for over a year in what we call action labs, where we're trying to bring our research into action by convening people and bringing some tools so that, mm-hmm. to help them think through mm-hmm. Scranton's a good example. The city that mm. Thomas Edison first electrifies before he takes it to Broadway. Is that right? The, electri- the electric that. city. Oh. Um, there's a big sign in Scranton, the electric city. Oh. And it's a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. But what happened over time is the jobs, particularly the logistics warehousing jobs, mm-hmm. are moving. They're out in the highways. Right. They're the out in Route 80 to New York. The low-income yep. communities yep. that are yep. living yep. in Scranton have no access to get to those jobs, right. particularly second, third shift where the transit system yep. isn't really functioning. So we convened, we did some mapping, we did some modeling, mm-hmm. and we have a toolkit now. We're working with other communities to say, okay, how do you solve this problem? Right. Work, the employers need workers. These workers need jobs. Mm-hmm. But there's a disconnect. Right. So, again, I think infrastructure often gets – overlooked in these conversations, but it's actually very important. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little, Mick. It's a problem around the United States and California, much more severe than here, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco especially, right? right. Yeah. You can't afford to live where the jobs are, so you've got to be far away. But let's uh, think about the places like the one you just described up in Ippen Scranton. It's not that dense a place. You can't have extensive public transportation to make it go. So what do you do? So a combination of things. I think they're working through whether they're changing the transit system, having more, you know, the old phrase, dial-a-ride kind of systems, mm. which are more flexible transit options sure. as opposed to a, a fixed-route bus, okay. um, van pooling, uh, car po- Uber-like commercial services. There's a host of okay. options. Yeah. It's not our job, uh, and we don't have the expertise in their yeah. problem to tell them what their solution is. They mm-hmm. have to... Uh, work through that solution. Mm-hmm. We're just there to give them what we know. But do you see those working uh, in other places? Because yeah. I, I imagine not many of our listeners really know much about those alternatives. They know fixed bus routes, and that's about it. So is the private sector coming in and providing something, as you said, Uber-like yeah. for this? They're starting to. And mm-hmm. I think there are some uh, players out there. There's a, uh, a company called Ride.com that's provided these kind of services, actually started by, uh, just until recently, a was run by a Wharton alum oh. uh, who was mm-hmm. the CEO of the company. Okay. So there are these options that are starting to emerge in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to let those thousand flowers bloom so mm-hmm. we can find solutions to help people. And it's not just getting to and from the job. It's also if I have a doctor's appointment and I don't right. have a car, uh, I can't get to work and then I'm going to lose my job. And, right. and you know, We can go down the whole list of things. Right. But it's not only in the small – old industrial cities like the Scranton. It's mm-hmm. right here in Philadelphia. Sure. I mean, the biggest problem we have right now is we have a second city in King of Prussia mm-hmm. outside, a yep. major, and they can't find those low, moderate-income workers because there's no easy way to get there. Right. right. If I have to take three buses to get to work yep. and I have children and child care, mm-hmm. I can't take that job. Right, right. 
Yeah, it's a couple of hours each way. Yeah. Well, tell us about the uh, other two legs of the um, uh, development of the economically disadvantaged areas. I think you said workforce development was the second one. Yeah, so tell that one, that. yeah, so again, we've been doing a lot of work on looking at pathways to a middle-class life where you don't need a four-year college degree or don't need it right away. Yeah. Okay. And so we've partnered with our colleagues in Atlanta and Cleveland feds for several times now to, to issue um, a report on what we call opportunity occupations. So we asked the following question. What are the jobs in America uh, that pay above median wages that would lead you and have a potential for growth, right? Okay. So they're not quote-unquote dead-end jobs. Mm-hmm. We know what they are, and we have it broken down by geography. So we can break this down a, by uh, SMSA. What do they look like around here, for example? What would some of those jobs be? I mean, in good examples, we launched a, an apprenticeship uh, report a little while ago related to this. Uh, things like Philadelphia Shipyard, welders. They're, mm-hmm. they're looking at mm-hmm. manufacturing wow. firms here. Okay. Uh, we launched a report recently on urban manufacturing uh, and the need for workers and by the way, real estate, this gets back to infrastructure. A lot of these small manufacturers are growing. Mm-hmm. They can't find the land in the city oh, uh, to grow. And oh, they, we've okay. found this to be a oh. – which I, it surprised uh-huh. me. So, again, infrastructure keeps rearing its head. But the um, clearly in Philadelphia, it's healthcare, mm-hmm. healthcare-related jobs. And, again, mm-hmm. it's not doctors, nurses. It's a whole host of other skill sets. These are, are technicians, needed. technical jobs? Technicians, sort of uh, mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a whole host of jobs mm-hmm. in healthcare, and given the dominance of healthcare in the Philadelphia region, it's one of the areas that uh, one of the unions here, 1199C, has a really good apprenticeship program we've been studying. There's, again, there's a, a variety of different mm-hmm. pathways, but it's looking at those variety of pathways and promoting those mm-hmm. as opposed to telling somebody your only measure of success is to go right to a four-year college. And a good example is a, a person I met at the shipyard when we launched this apprenticeship report. Guy went through his apprenticeship program, got 29 college credits at Delaware Community College. Mm. He then, uh, they saw something in him to be a supervisor. Mm-hmm. He became a supervisor. He's now working on his bachelor's degree, mm-hmm. funded by the company. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. those models mm-hmm. we often have lost sight of. Yeah. So the uh, on some of these healthcare jobs, for example, uh, I think we sometimes just assume that colleges or community colleges will provide the skills, then what's the problem? But the issue seems to be, as you're saying with apprenticeships, getting this hands-on experience, right? Yep. That seems to be the the challenge. When you're talking to these manufacturers, some of the new ones that are starting up in areas like Philadelphia, what are they looking for in skills? What do they want people Digital to have? skills. Digital. Digital, okay. whether it's... And it doesn't mean this finger digital. It's no. not that one. Whether it's manufacturing <laughs> or truck repair. Okay. You know, repairing a truck is more about the computer than the chassis at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so there's a good example, uh, a contact we had in Lehigh Valley. He has half his bays empty. He expanded his business to repair trucks. He can't find qualified mechanics, and he's yep. paying over $100,000 a year for mechanics. Really? No kidding. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so these are good jobs that require mm-hmm. a mix of mm-hmm. smarts and yep. digital smarts right, and, right, and, and right. the ability to work with your hands. Right. And this has been a perennial problem. And some of these jobs are also physically demanding, right? right? right. And so you look at something like a lineman in a, a utility, electric mm-hmm. utility. Again, electric utilities are watching the aging of that workforce, like mm-hmm. many industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a physically demanding job. It's not a job you can do into your 70s, right, right? unless you're in incredibly yeah. good shape. Mm-hmm. They can't find that next generation to come up mm-hmm. behind them. Mm-hmm. Now, wow. I think in, in fairness to the, to the people, I think a lot of these institutions 
as in public utilities, for example, it's not a big surprise that these folks are going to retire. Right. Right. It's like the worst kept secret yeah. ever. They're going to they're going to go away. Uh, the problem, I think, um, as you're describing it, uh, the one fixable problem here is that this combination is hard to get. Right? Yep. So you could get people who know programming skills, simple programming skills, and you probably could figure out how to get um, people who have some hands-on skills. Getting both in the same person is seems to be kind of tricky. Yeah, right? and, it, and it's getting worse. If you look mm-hmm. at, say, the U.S. military, and I, I heard a, a report recently at a meeting, and I forget the exact number, but the number of Americans who can pass the physical qualifications for the U.S. military has been decreasing rapidly right? over the last yeah. several decades. Wow. And so we – and this gets back to the, the infrastructure issue. It's not just about housing. It's not mm-hmm. just about transportation. Right. If people aren't healthy, yeah. for whatever reason, we focus a lot on the opioid epidemic, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. more than that. It's mm-hmm. general health. You can't do mm-hmm. these jobs. Yeah. Uh, let's come back to the military in just a second. Before we do that, let's remind listeners what we're doing. We're talking to Pat Harker here, who's the president and the CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank – of Philadelphia, one of 12, right? 12 Federal Reserve right. cities uh, around the United States. We're talking about the state of the economy and particularly regional economic development. You know, the thing I always liked about the military example is during the 1970s, right, when the military was not in fashion and uh, we had an all-volunteer army. And the quality of applicants uh, fell quite sharply, uh, and particularly educational skills and ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were able to re-educate people or educate people and raise them a grade level in a few weeks of training, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they could take people who were not that skilled, didn't have the the years of education, didn't have the, um, we didn't think, the ability to do the job at least a few years before, and they were able to get them up to that level pretty quickly. Uh, And I think there's probably some lessons as to how they could do it that might apply elsewhere. Now, one of the things we can't usually do in schools is say, drop and give me 20 if you don't, yeah. uh, <laughs> if you don't uh, remember yeah. your math tables on that one. Yeah. But it is something about having a whole institution around you that supports and pushes mm-hmm. you along, yeah. right, which we're not so good at. And by the way, since you were last here, Peter uh, put out a book called Will College Pay Off? Right. One yeah. of the theses of which was that <laughs> we are pushing kids right. to go to, straight from high school to college because that's the way it's supposed to be in America. But it's causing a lot of kids to go in the wrong direction, and it's bankrupting their families as as you do it. And the other piece of this is uh, some work that we've been doing recently and some some really interesting work um, by our staff on up-credentialing. Because part of it isn't that we're pushing kids. It's during the recession yeah. when companies could up-credential yeah. a right, job. Right, right. They did. But yeah. Why wouldn't you, right? right if you can yeah. get a college graduate versus – even though it's not clear that they got the payoff out of that – and that's sticky, right? Yep. It doesn't come back down. Right. And so we have now got job after job. You take nursing, for example. Nursing is a sort of great example. Mm-hmm. You, in most places, a two-year nursing degree just doesn't cut it anymore. You need right. a bachelor's degree. Right. And you have to stop and ask yourself why. Yep. And I know a lot of very successful nurses with a two-year degree. Who say why. <laughs> Who say why. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I'm, not, I'm not the specialized nurse. I'm not an OR nurse or an ER nurse. 
Uh, why do I need that extra credential? Mm-hmm. And I think you can multiply that across the economy. And there's a cost to the economy of that up-credentialing sure. that we are we haven't quite yet quantified, but that's some of the work we're trying to do. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It, it is sticky on the way down, uh, and I think it's going to require, you know, there'll be a lot of whining and complaining uh, as this comes down. We talk about this in law firms, right, that legal secretaries now require a college degree. That happened during the Great Recession, yeah. right? The new positions all required them because we could get them. And then, it, you're right, it does become this kind of uh, race to the top, as it were, where people who have some resources uh, get extra degrees so they can outcompete the other people for the few jobs that are around. Pat, let's go back and talk about apprenticeships uh, for a little bit here. What kind of reaction have you gotten um, to the efforts or seen to the efforts to try to get more apprenticeships? Because the, the employers have to be in this, right? It's hard yeah. to have an apprenticeship without somebody with real experience and context to teach people, right? Yeah, so I think this is now uh, starting to come, as we've come out of the recession, many leaders I talk to, many business leaders I talk to are now at the point where they're saying, I got to do something different. I can't yep. find the people. Um, I, my workforce, all the machinists in my shop are aging out. Uh, I got to do something different. And now they're willing to make that investment, which it makes sense, right? During the recession, you weren't going to make the right. investment. Right. Uh, now they're saying, I need something different. And it's no longer just in the traditional industries of construction and manufacturing. We're mm-hmm. seeing it in IT jobs. We're mm. seeing it in healthcare. Really? We're seeing mm-hmm. it in many mm-hmm. other financial services. Mm-hmm. We're starting mm-hmm. to see more and more use of apprenticeship models, right. which are very – I mean, obviously, you're going to get good people because it's learn and earn, right? Yep. And so right, – right. and if you can – Create it in a way that, of course, you can retain those people at the other end. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. home run. Yeah. So you were talking about the Philadelphia Union uh, 1199, which is, as you say, quite famously and for a long time, had this apprenticeship program. You know, the unions had a way to make it pay for the unions anyway. And that was uh, you'd get the training, union, sometimes employer union programs, but then you had to keep paying union dues afterwards. Right. And eventually you'd pay it, uh, you'd pay it back. Uh, the employers are saying, I think often, well, I'm going to train these folks. I'm going to lose them. Uh, so why should I do it? Is there been? Have you heard an interesting response to that? Has there been? Not that? yet. Yeah. I think this is right. where we are just seeing the yeah. reemergence of these apprenticeship right. programs. Right. I think uh, you know. I think it's not really true that people are necessarily going to leave you. It's sort of like. You know, college tuition, employers who pay for people to go to college, and they say they're just going to get a degree and leave. You know, if somebody gets a four-year degree going uh, to school nights and they're working for you, they're going to be there eight years at least. Right. That's going to be the cheapest retention bonus you've ever, yeah. you've ever paid. And, yeah. also, and also, if you think about what retains somebody, it's they, who they work for, mm-hmm. number one, right. but also – Career progression. Yep. The worst thing is to pay something for somebody's college degree. And they make and, them sit there. Yeah, and they keep doing the same thing they were doing. Right. And yeah, you don't give right. them a new challenge, a right, new opportunity. Right, 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 yeah. So I think this is all part of a model of bringing back some more internal promotion, internal development, and, and those sorts of things. So we were going through the three legs of the stool, and we've missed one. The so third right. is job creation. So, there you go. But I think, okay. again, this up-credentialing is a good example of where yep. we're destroying some of the job creation yep. by yep. asking more than we actually need for the job. Right. So I mean, the, the rest is right. uh, basically basic blocking and tackling of economic development, mm-hmm. um, growing firms in your region or bringing new firms into the region. That we know very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are pros and cons of different approaches to that. What do you think works best? So the idea of bribing firms to come <coughs> in has been very controversial but very widespread, right? Yeah. Giving them tax breaks, giving them this or that, you know. So putting my economist hat on, 
yeah, it, it isn't efficient economically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, practically, I mean, you have to be in the game, yep. right? And mm-hmm. firms know that, mm-hmm. and they have to be in the game. As, econ- as If the economy continues on its path and, and things get tighter and tighter, not clear there's going to be, you know, regions won't need to compete as much, yep. right? right? Some right, right. will still need to yep. compete, but, you know, the cities who are booming – just don't need to compete that right. much. Speaking of that, were we, Philadelphia area, involved in the Amazon uh, yes, hunt? Yes, we're one of the way? 20. We're one of the 20 yeah. remaining. And are you playing a role in this? You got your so the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce, of which I'm on the, the board, mm-hmm. has played a role, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so looking forward for the next couple of years here, what's your bet? Uh, the economy going to be about the same? Are you worried at all about uh, downturns or um, – Maybe trade wars, yeah. or is this all mainly talk? You think? So start with economic growth, right? Okay. What we know, there's a fundamental equation of economic growth. Economic growth is productivity growth plus growth of the labor force. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the equation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll have movement around that trend line, but yep. th- that is the trend line. Mm-hmm. Productivity growth has been slow mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. and also globally. We don't know exactly why. Uh, yep. There's hope that with new technologies coming yep. in that we'll see that needle move. Right. It has to move in the service industries. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's yeah, it's important. Are. It's important to see manufacturing productivity and agricultural productivity continue to grow. But mm-hmm. yeah, to move the needle, mm-hmm. you got to grow in, mm-hmm. in service industries. Can I stop you on that for just a second? Because you know, on the one hand, we hear from the IT people, right, that uh, we're just around the corner from this fabulous world where robots will be in our kitchen again and sweeping right. stuff like they told us 40 years ago mm-hmm. they would be. Um, and then we look at the productivity numbers and there's kind of nothing happening there. What's what's your sense about those arguments? <coughs> and that's been true for a while, right? Yeah. We keep yeah. thinking we're going to be the Jetsons and we never, right. quite, you know, yeah. we never oh. quite get there. Right. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I uh-huh. think there are... I think there are – the interesting place to watch is Japan. They're so short of people mm-hmm. that they're having robotic health aids for uh, elderly. They're, they're hoping, right? yeah. They're trying oh, all wow. sorts of ways yep. to try because they just can't find the people. Yep. And that well, re- also the other part of that one too, right? Of course, they're living a lot longer right. not yep. working. Exactly. So they've got this other problem. Not right? work – exactly. Not working, taking uh, entitlements and social services and right. so forth. Right. So – that is the fundamental question. How do we improve productivity? Some of it is a public investment in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's private investment. It's a host of things. Mm-hmm. And human capital investment. Mm-hmm. And I would start with pre-K. What mm-hmm. we know, right, mm-hmm. what we know from science is third trimester of pregnancy to three years old is a yep. crucial point yep. in a human being's yep. life. And if you don't get that right, mm-hmm. uh, you're playing catch-up mm-hmm. uh, yep. on average. And I mean, is. some people will overcome that, but generally right. – you're playing catch up, and much more expensive to fix than to avoid the problem the first time. Yeah, right? so it, it's you, everything we need to do to add to productive capacity. Mm-hmm. The second issue we, I think we also need to deal with, uh, which is the people side. Yeah, we need to try to do, and that's what we're trying to do with our economic growth and mobility project: mm-hmm. bring more and more people off the sideline back into the workforce. Right. Some mm-hmm. of that we, some of that is people are increasingly less willing to move in the American society for you mean a variety physically just physically and, for a variety yeah. of reasons and there are also the host of other things we just talked about mm-hmm. the other issue is a sensible immigration policy mm-hmm. I think we just have to recognize that if we need more people that's one place America has always gone mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. not telling anybody and I have to be very clear I'm not speaking for the Federal Reserve system right. I'm not speaking for any of my mm-hmm. colleagues on the open market committee mm-hmm. I'm just speaking for myself and I'm not telling anybody what that policy should be mm-hmm. that's not in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. but having a sensible immigration policy is important uh, for growth of this country mm-hmm. yeah so in your view are we under investing personally individually company-wide 
society, government-wise, in the future? I'm not even sure we're talking about that much right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I if, – if I think about the public discourse that's going on right now, um, I don't hear a lot about a plan for the future. Right. Right. And that yeah. probably concerns me more right. than anything else. Now, it's happening in, in various think tanks and in universities yeah. and in companies that are thinking about yeah. their own future. But this is a collective future. What we need yeah. to invest in collectively as a country have to move the needle forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good point. I don't hear many people talking about our children's future much anymore. No. You know, they, I don't hear them saying, you know, what's, uh, what are things going to be like for them and can we make it better? It's very much me, me, me right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which uh, we better be careful about that because when we're in the nursing home and our kids come to visit and they're pissed off at us, this could not be uh, not, yeah, not that, be a good yeah. outcome. That plug is not very far away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there you go. Well, Pat, thanks very much for being with us. Pat Harker Thank is you. the president and CEO of the Philadelphia Federal Reserve. We've been talking about the economy and the future, particularly regional economic development here. We're going to take a break now. We're going to come back in just a couple of minutes and talk about other fun stuff. When I look at the schedule and see what it is, I'll let you know. See you back in just a minute. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 